Hi, everyone. I'm Charlie Boyd, and welcome to the Jesus on Display podcast. Before we begin today's content, I wanted just to say thanks for supporting us here at Fellowship Greenville with your gifts and generosity. Because of your giving, we get to share resources like this podcast with you to help reach you wherever you are in your life with Jesus. If you'd like to support the ministry of Fellowship Greenville, you can head to fellowshipgreenville.org forward slash give to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. And one of the main purposes of Revelation is to set the present moment, listen, to set the present moment in light of the unseen realities, listen, not just of the future, but to set the present moment in the midst of the unseen realities of the present. There are pictures of what's going on now. In other words, things are not as they seem, or more accurately, things are not just as they seem. There's more to this present moment than we can know with our secular eyes and with our earthbound intellect and emotion and imagination. Here, we see the greatest unseen reality of the present is a person. It's Jesus, the incarnate, crucified, risen, ascended, glorified Jesus who is ruling over all things right now. Now, do you believe that? Does the church in our time believe that? Do you, do you believe it when you're watching the news that's got you all upset? The greatest unseen reality of the present is a person. It's Jesus, and John would say to us that unless we believe that and let that truth shape our minds and hearts and lives, we haven't got a clue as to what's going on in our world today. And this appearance of Jesus here on this rock pile prison island of Patmos helps John see that even a prison of suffering can become a sanctuary of worship because Jesus is right there with him. He says in verse 10, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst, in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of God. Now, the lampstands, he tells us at the end, are the churches. John sees Jesus right there with him and right there on Patmos, but Jesus is also showing John that he's right there on the mainland in the midst of all seven of those churches. Jesus is not just above his churches looking down. He's not just outside the churches looking in. He's in the middle of the churches and he's with them in their suffering and persecution and he knows all and he sees all. Do you realize that right here, right now, Jesus is in the middle of this church, in the middle of this gathering? That's what the Spirit is saying to our church now. He's here and he's ruling over all things and we need to orient our lives around that truth. Now, for the rest of our time, I wanna focus on three main characteristics of this revelation of the greatest unseen reality in the present, this revelation of Jesus. And the first thing I wanna focus on is the voice. The voice is the dominant image in the text. The word occurs three times, verse 10, I heard a loud voice behind me, 
Verse 12, I turned to see the voice. Verse 15, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. Voice is the key to understanding it all. And I think this is Jesus' way of saying that the most essential part of discipleship is listening. Listening to me. In the next two chapters of this book, chapters two and three, John records seven messages that Jesus dictates to the seven churches and they all, all seven churches have one common exhortation and that is hear. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Seven times, it's about voice. Listen, hear. Now I wanna show you something really, really cool. The centrality of the voice in this description of Jesus is brought out in the way that John describes Jesus' revelation of himself. John uses a literary device common in the first century in the Middle Eastern culture, and it's still common in 21st century Middle Eastern communication and culture. It's a device called, a literary device called a chiasm or chiasm. The word chiasm comes from the Greek word chi, which is an X, our letter X. But scholars have chosen to use the term chiasm to refer to only one side of the X, like, you'll see it in a minute. It, like, 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 it looks like a sideways V, like a greater than sign, like geese flying in formation. So we Westerners tend to think in a linear way. We read and write in a straight line. Middle Easterners tend to think in a chiastic way. They read and write in this sideways V, outside in, inside out. So instead of a straight line, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, they read like this, one, two, three, four, that's the main point, five, six, seven, and there's a relationship between one and seven, two and six, three and five, to make the point of four, all right? So we're not meant to read what John says here about Jesus in a straight line, like head, eyes, feet, voice, hand, mouth, face. If you read in a straight line, the portrait of Jesus just jumps all around and it doesn't make much sense. We're meant to read it chiastically like this, head, eyes, feet, voice, hand, mouth, face. That's the way we're supposed to read. Now, Eugene Peterson in his commentary called Reverse Thunder uh, suggests that the head and face are coupled together because they're like the first and last impressions. Jesus' head, he says, is, uh, John says, is white like wool, like snow. And this is telling us that this one who is in our midst is immensely wise. In Daniel chapter seven, he's the ancient of days. That's what's behind this imagery. And Jesus has been around for all eternity and he knows everything there is to know about life. His face shining like the sun in all of its fullness. Now, I don't know how John handled that part of it because the sun is so brilliant it can blind you but then again, the sun brings warmth. And so this suggests that the one who is in our midst radiates the glory of God. Something like what John and Peter saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. The eyes and the mouth go together because they're organs of relationship. Jesus' eyes are like flames of fire. That's a way of saying that Jesus' eyes are pure and they're purifying and they're penetrating. He sees all. He sees 
what's on the surface and what's underneath. He sees our actions and he sees the motives of our heart. Out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, that that sharp two-edged sword cuts to the division of soul and spirit. And Jesus' words cut that cut to the soul and spirit, digging out the lies in our hearts so that we can know the truth about him and about us. The feet and hands go together because they're parts of body that express capability. His feet are like burnished bronze. Now, bronze is made of iron and copper. Iron rusts, copper bends, but you blend them together and and they're strong and steady and solid and firm, a firm foundation. Burnished means his feet are hot uh, from the furnace and, and wherever he walks, he brings purification. And in his hand, he holds seven stars Now, these turn out to be angels. I'm gonna talk about that next week. But right here, they also refer to the seven stars or planets that ancient people felt ruled the world. Now, you see this in this image of a Roman coin from about this time. You see, baby Caesar sits on top of the world, deified as God, and there are seven stars around him, meaning that Caesar is Lord. And he rules and reigns over all, including the universe. This is an image, right? This is what Revelation is giving us, pictures like this. But Jesus counters that image by saying that whatever cosmic or governmental or ecclesiastical or personal powers there are in the world, he holds all the powers in his right hand Quite literally, he has the whole world in his hands. And then finally, the voice that was like the sound of many waters. A voice that, was able to, that is able to drown out all the other voices that are clamoring for our attention and allegiance. It's a loud voice, but even that. Have you ever laid in front of a waterfall and just been lulled asleep by the soothing sounds? Here again, it's loud but soothing. Again, the whole point is, listen, The whole point is the essential discipline of discipleship is listen to me. And the implication is that the churches in Asia Minor are not listening to Jesus, at least in some parts of their church life. Now, that's not hard to imagine, right? Congregations not listening to Jesus. Congregations not hearing what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Congregations listening to the latest fads, listening more to political and social agendas than Jesus. Too many churches, too many Christians were and are listening to the wrong voices. They pushed Jesus out of the center and put other things in the center. In John's day, they were uh, listening to the threatening voice of Emperor Domitian, who said, if you don't call me Lord, you're gonna die or, uh, or uh, worse, boiled in oil or whatever. They, they, heard, they were listening to his threatening voice and they were listening to the seductive voices of the empire, to voices that promised comfort and security through wealth and military power. They, weren't, they were listening to voices that said, it's possible to confess Jesus as Lord on Sunday, but then live for idols Monday through Saturday. The voice is central. Now, the second feature about the, the voice here is the, the voice is said to give two commands. The first command is, do not be afraid, verse 17, and behold, or look, in verse 18. 
Now it turns out that we obey the first by obeying the second. It's when we look that we're no longer afraid. When I'm afraid, it's because I'm not looking, or I should say, I'm not looking at the, in the right place. I'm looking at all the cultural issues. I'm looking at all the political issues. I'm looking at the rise of terrorism. I'm looking at escalating collapse of our moral order. I'm looking at the growth of addiction. I'm looking at all kinds of things out there and it's worrying me and scaring me to death. I'm not looking at Jesus, the risen and glorified Lord of life who holds the whole world in his hands. Jesus says, look to John on that prison island. Verse 18, look, I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. I'm the first and the last. That's the same thing as in the other parts of the passage where God says, I'm the alpha and the omega. The two ends of the alphabet, if God is A and Z, he's everything in between. That's Jesus. He's everything. He's the beginning, the end, and everything in between. He says, I'm the living one. You've got to keep your eyes on me. Look at me. Now think about this. It turns out that we look by listening. We see by hearing. Martin Luther once exhorted people to stick their eyes in their ears. <laughs> you will not see until you hear. And it's when you hear that you see, and when you see Jesus, like John sees him here, you're no, no longer will fear control you. The third major feature of this revelation of Jesus is the phrase, in the middle. The voice speaks from the middle, not just from above, not just from outside, but from the middle, verse 13, from the middle of the lampstands, in the middle of the churches, but as John will soon discover as this, this drama unfolds, Jesus speaks from the middle of other places. He speaks from the middle of everything. Like in Revelation chapter five, we, we hear that the lion has triumphed. And when John turns expecting to see a lion, he saw a lamb as if slain standing in the middle of the throne of God, in the middle of the throne. Now there's no way the lamb can be standing in the middle of the throne unless he's standing in the middle of the Almighty who sits on the throne, which means that he stands as God in the middle of everything and this voice speaks from the middle of everything. Now do you believe that? Does the church in our time believe that? That Jesus Christ stands in the center and he is the center. Well, sadly, I, 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 I'm afraid not. I mean, what we've done, particularly in Western Christianity, is we made it all about me. And we turned this Jesus into some kind of divine therapist so that whatever you're struggling with or feeling or hurting from, we want Jesus to come and, and sit down and, and meet with us, and we want Jesus to help us be in the center of our lives. We want him to help us stay in the center as if, as if all he wants from you is so that I can help you be all you can be and have all you can have and do, and do whatever you wanna do so that you're in the middle and he's on the outside helping you stay there. That's not the gospel. But we see this on a, on a much larger scale as well, as well. Most believers and most church leaders in this country are feeling marginalized marginalized over against the culture, marginalized over against the great forces of our times, marginalized over against godless political and social systems that seem to control our lives. We're feeling marginalized. 
And understandingly so, the, the surrounding culture doesn't care one whit about the church. We're not on the radar, and we're not even on their radar anymore. So we feel marginalized because Christians are now in a minority in this country. We feel marginalized because we feel our voices aren't heard. We feel marginalized because our beliefs and values are being attacked. We feel marginalized because we're made to look like fools in movies and in mainstream media. But listen, the crisis for us right now is not that the church is marginalized, The crisis is that we feel marginalized because, and why do we feel marginalized? Because we've forgotten that things are not as they seem. The church in our time feels marginalized because we've allowed our souls to give in to the illusions around us and we're now assessing our own worth and ministries against false centers. Listen, look, in the middle, the risen and ruling Jesus speaks from the middle And I hear Jesus saying to me and to the church in our time, you get discouraged because you get disoriented. And you get disoriented because you get distracted. You get discouraged because you get disoriented and you get disoriented because you get distracted. You've taken your eyes off of me. Other voices command more of your attention than my voice. And I think I hear Jesus saying, you think that in order to have greater influence in your city, you think you need more, something more attractive than me, more concrete than me, more marketable than me, something more believable than me, and Jesus says, no. What you need is this vision of me right here. You need to see the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the future, but even more so, you need to see the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the present, and I'm the most real thing going on. And you know me, and I'm in control. He's saying, I'm the great unseen reality of the present. Listen to me, keep your eyes on me, look at me. I've got the keys. I've got the keys to death and Hades. No one else has them. And if I've got the keys to death and Hades, then I have the keys to everything else. So look, listen, don't be afraid. The Jesus on Display podcast is produced right here at Fellowship Greenville in Greenville, South Carolina. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Follow and share this podcast with anyone who might be interested or curious about our church community or how storytelling unites us and helps us feel more connected. To actively keep up with what's going on at our church community, head to our website at fellowshipgreenville.org, follow us on all social media platforms, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for tuning in. Grace and peace to you for your week, and we'll see you next time.